0: Grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn sons was firstborn sons' name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, however, his sons didn't did not walk in his ways. They turned towards dishonest prophets, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, Look, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways, therefore appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots on his horses or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a 10th of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and his servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel listened to all the people's words and then repeated to them, repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them. The Lord said to Samuel, appoint a king for them. And Samuel told the men of Israel, each of you go back to your city. Fathers, we receive your word today. I thank you that you minister to us as each one has need. God, take the poverty of my remarks and cause it to build up each heart in the way they need today. That you give to us this day, our daily bread, and we thank you for your faithfulness to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So quick setup to where we, where we find this, and we just kind of jumped in here. Um, you know, we talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a few weeks back. Jacob and his family went into Egypt, first as guests, and later they were slaves, right? The Lord had to bring them out of Egypt, out of captivity, Under Moses, we remember Moses, and brought him into uh, the promised land under Joshua. And in the promised land, The land they were supposed to dwell, the nation of Israel, was judged by judges. God gave them leaders, not kings, but leaders uh, to judge them and lead them and help them navigate those times. And one of the last of those prophet and judge is Samuel. And we see his name here. It says he was getting old and his boys were coming up and they weren't acting like they should. And the people said, you're not going to be around much longer your boys aren't worth what they should be worth. We want a king to rule over us. And this is them asking Samuel for that, him asking God for that, which oddly enough, they were saying, Men are failing us, appoint a man to lead us. Men are failing us, appoint a man to lead us. And why did they want a king? He said, we want a king to judge us, to tell us what's right and to tell us what's wrong, to lead us, to defend us, to fight for us. We want a king. It was out of need, right? We need all of those things and that was their answer from their mind was we need a king. We need him to judge us, go out before us and fight our battles for us. And Samuel took it personal. He said, It said he heard what they were asking for and he took it to be wrong. And he said, Lord, is this wrong? And what did the Lord say? The Lord said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. But tell them that we will, you will appoint a king for them, but remind them that though a king comes with benefits, a king also comes with costs. And we went down through that list. He can take your sons and make them do this. He can take your daughters and make them do that. He can take your property and make it his property. He can take what you have and make it what he has. A king likes to be a king, doesn't he? To said, remind him of the cost of having a king. And, you know, we've been talking about the soul. We've been talking about it for several weeks now. I think it's 12 or 13 First, that we have one, don't we? Or we are one. We're still not sure how to say that even after 13 weeks. That God formed man out of the dust of the ground and he became a soul alive. He came a, became a soul living. So we have one. And according to the Savior, it's pretty important. Because he said, "What does it profits you if you gain everything? If you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. And so our soul is important and we're learning that it's also very, very, very needy, that our soul needs a lot of things. One of the things it needs the most is somebody to look after it, somebody to keep it. And that's been assigned to you and me. Scripture said in Proverbs, guard your heart with all diligence. Guard that, that core part of you with all diligence, because if out, out of it flows what? The issues of life or it is the source of Life And so we we're trying to understand how to care for our soul. We better understand it first. How can you care for something unless you understand it? And what we've been talking about recently is idolatry. Or all the things that our soul in its neediness, in its longing, turns to besides God. Turns to other than God. That we take good things in life, good things and we make them ultimate things. We take good things and we ask them to be for us what they cannot be. That's what the Bible calls idolatry. And so we've been seeing how our soul will elevate things to a God level that aren't God. And we know, we've learned, we do that at our peril. And today, while we've talked about all the things we've talked about, money, we've talked about romantic love. We talked about success and accomplishments and how we can idolize these things in our life and we can look to them to be God for us today. Political power. Yay. <laughs> right. Everybody's like, yay. You know, that always say two things you shouldn't talk about religion and politics. Right. But but we're talking about political power causes, parties, agendas. And again, idolatry is taking something that is good and making it be ultimate. You're like, is politics good? (laughs) But it can be, right? I heard one guy, he told a joke, he said, politics comes from the Latin word poly for many and ticks, blood sucking creatures. That was a joke. (laughs) That was a joke. I didn't write, but you can, you can use that. But we take something that can be good, all of these things can be good and we elevate it to a level that it can't sustain. But there is good there, right? There is good there or at least there should be. There should be good there. But it's more and more clear today that political power has become, uh, has risen to the level of idolatry in our hearts, because everything is the end of the world. Everything is a crisis. Everything is, not, everything is not just a crisis, everything is an existential crisis. You've heard him say that? Do you even know what that means? Existential crisis? I mean, we won't exist anymore, or this is on a level of existence and purpose in life. It's this thing. It's like, well, you can't use that for everything. Everything can't be the most important thing. Are there important issues? There are very important issues, but everything, every single thing is an existential crisis. Everything is always an emergency. Everything is always about to be the end of the world. You know, I like to read quotes because I like to find people that say it a little bit better than I could say it and repeat what they said. I quote to you before from uh, Pastor Tim Keller and one thing that he said is that if our counterfeit God or our idol is threatened in any way, our response is complete panic. We do not say what a shame, how difficult, but rather we say this is the end. There is no hope. This may be a reason why so many people now respond to U.S. political trends in such an extreme way. With either, when either party wins an election, a certain percentage of the losing side talks openly about leaving the country. They become agitated and fearful for the future. They have put the kind of hope in their political leaders and policies that was once reserved for God and the work of the gospel. When their political leaders are out of power, they experience a death. They believe that if their policies and people are not in power, everything will fall apart. They refuse to admit how much agreement they actually have with the other party and instead focus on the points of disagreement. The points of contention overshadow everything else. And a poisonous environment is created. And he wrote that back in 2009. It's a little bit different since then. It's gotten a little bit uh, better, right? (laughs) Obviously not. You know, and again, political systems are a good thing. I'm thankful for the systems of government that we have. Voting is a very, very, very good thing. And if you are not registered to vote, you should be registered to vote. That is your voice and people fought and died for you to have that right and that access. You should know what you're voting on. You should know how to vote. You should vote in a way that is righteous and just. You should do these things. They are all very, very good. However, when we expect or ask it to do something for us that it cannot do. Then we have leveraged ourselves or what have we done? We have put ourselves in an inequitable position with something else. We've put it over us. And then there is a line of people ready to take advantage of that. There is a line of people ready to take advantage Of that. And again, just like all the other things we've talked about money, success, romantic love all of these things are not inherently bad. They're not inherently bad. What makes them bad? We do. People. People get in it and make it bad. Like the others in the right place. The right place in our life, it can be a great and good and helpful thing for us. Listen, I don't want you to come away from this thinking he's saying we shouldn't worry about it. He's saying we shouldn't pay attention. He's saying we shouldn't care about what's going on. No, you should vote. You should vote knowledgeably. You should participate In the process, run for office if the Lord tells you to advocate for good and right and biblical things and principles in our nation. Hold your leaders accountable. All those things are good. And we should also keep it in its proper place. We should keep it in its proper place. And look what happens when we take it past that. Look what has happened when we take it to a place where we say the only way we can be safe, the only way we can be secure, the only way that I'll be okay is if this passes or this person's elected or this gets done and we've bought into the lie that they are the only ones that can save us. That they're the only ones that can help us. That they're the only ones that can lead us out of this mess. And Lord, help us. If they lose, if they only get 49% of the vote, what's going to happen to me? And when we put it at that place, when it becomes so much of an emergency, when it becomes such a dangerous thing, and again, there are, things, there, there are dangers out there, but when you elevate it to that level and you say, if I lose, all hope is lost, then you know what that means? It means you are going to go to whatever extreme is necessary to win. It's going to become, you know, those old wrestling matches. They would say, this is a no holds barred match. What does that mean? Nothing is off the table. Nothing's against the rules. We're bringing everything out. I mean, chairs, bats, everything we can bring out. We're bringing out. Why? Because this is a no holds barred match. They're not going to fight fair. I got to I got to fight the way they're going to fight. Otherwise, I'm going to lose. And then everything is lost. I'll do whatever it takes. But again, what did the Savior say? He said, what does it profit you if you gain everything? but you forfeit your soul. What does it profit you if your candidate wins, but to get them there, you forfeited your soul? What, what good, see, and this, this reveals the idolatry in our life, just like with the others. If we picture in our mind, what if every candidate that I supported won? What if every policy that I didn't like was overturned? What if every policy that I did like was put into place? And we start to picture everything would be perfect. Everything would be great. That would be righteousness complete. And what I know and what you know is that it wouldn't be because there's still people involved. And especially it's not going to be enough to save and soothe and calm your soul. It will not be enough. And again, should you? Yes. Keep it in its right place, because when you put it too high, You run the risk of losing your soul to it. Well, but what if we accomplish this fill in the blank? If you lay down what's righteous and good and upstanding and your own character to bring it about, you've lost anyway. You've lost anyway. Remember Samuel. What did Samuel say? He was telling them, look, guys, there's benefits to having a king. There's benefits to having a king and there's also a cost. There's also a cost when you elevate something to an ultimate position. And you're willing to accept any price, any cost for it to stay there. We take it to a level that we'll wish we hadn't. We'll take it to a level that we wish we hadn't taken it. And you'll see it because then your opponents go from not just they're they're wrong to they're evil. They're not just wrong, but they're evil. And then look, are there evil people out there? Yes. So let's take it to the next level. Are they people who are lost in sin or are they irredeemable monsters? Which one is it? Which one is it? Because what we see that our hearts put, they're irredeemable monsters. They can never be, so they must be what defeated. And the funny thing is, they think the same thing about us. And they're coming at us with, except they don't have the character to fall back on. But what we don't want to do is become all like those who are against us. Again, how do we see them? Are they lost in Sin and a reprobate mind or are they irredeemable? Are they still a candidate for redemption? Or are they lost because they disagree with us? We become like Israel. We can say men are failing us. Give us more men to lead us. Let's get another election cycle here in a cycle. I love it that we call it a cycle because it just keeps coming back around. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? that once one side gets in there inevitably in the next midterm or the next election, it switches. You know why? Cause we're trying cause we realized they couldn't fix it as a country. You realize that they couldn't fix them. Like, all right, let's switch it out. Put the other one back in there. Let's try it again. Nope. All right, let's try it again. Nope. It is a terrible cycle and it becomes more divisive and more extreme. And listen again, There are deplorable policies that are being proposed, deplorable policies that are being proposed, horrendous principles that are being put forth by our culture. And as an extension, uh, different governments, local, state and federal horrendous, awful, terrible for people, for anything good and right in the world, that they're terrible. But what do we see it as? Who's the villain? What's the problem? The problem is it's an overflow of sin. That's always the problem. That's always the problem. And if we try to assign that problem or that villain role to something or somebody else, then we end up demonizing something that's not actually the real demon. It's from an overflow of sin. And so what's the answer? The answer to an overflow of sin is where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That, that it's Christ's kingdom delivered to us by His grace is always the answer. And the Bible will testify to you over and over, don't assign the problem to anything other than sin. That's the problem and don't assign the answer. To anything other than Christ's kingdom delivered to you by his grace. Amen. We were made to want and need a king. We were made to want and need a king. Our soul longs, right? Our soul needs one of the things our soul longs for is a king. He is a king. And normally we look to ourselves first for that, don't we? We want to be our own head Fred. That'll be just fine. I want to make my decisions. I want to make my own rules. I want to set my own parameters. I'm captain of this ship. I'm running it. And that feels pretty good till something happens, doesn't it? And then we realize, wait a second, I made lots of mistakes, and I don't always know what's best, and I don't always do what's right, and this isn't working out like I told myself it was going to work out. This is a problem for me. Well, maybe, maybe it's not me. Maybe I just got to get the other right person in my life. I'll look to other people to do for me what I couldn't do, right? And, and, and I'll get somebody maybe who's a dynamic speaker or maybe they're a genius thinker and, and, and a strategist. Maybe, maybe since if they're able to organize things together, then, then we'll be able to do uh, what I've seen other people do, other governments do, other cities do, other families do. When they get the right person in place, then maybe that'll do it. Maybe that will put things to right because I can't do it alone. But if I get enough people that are just like me together, then together, we, by our powers combined, we can get it done. We can get it done, surely. And we know that doesn't work either. We run into issues. Don't we run into issues real quick? And we assign an enemy. We go, well, if we, we were all together, we would be able to get it done. If it wasn't for them... Right. The infamous them, the infamous deplorable them. If it wasn't for them, y'all don't understand. If you would just agree with us then we would all be able to put it to right. But them, they are keeping us from it. So whether we have to do them, we have to defeat the they. We have to defeat the them. And then we end up in the cycle that malevolent them. And again, we end up demonizing things that aren't actually themselves. Demons, And we end up making things to a God level that can never sustain themselves in that ultimate place. Because it's odd. The more we try as humans, as people, the more we try to gain power and control and to be like God, the less like people we become. We become less than human. The more we seek after power and control. Scripture is real clear about that, too. Starts living out our life as an image of God, which is what we were created to be. We end up thrashing around like the animals. So it's not me. And it's not it, 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 it's not other people. It's not me and it's not them. And yet we want and need and look for a king. And that's not a simple Uh, need in our life. That's not a simple longing or a small thing because look, we suffer the feelings of insufficiency because we know we're not enough. We know at our core in our soul that we are not enough, that we're we're not stable enough, that we're not secure enough. And so we look for ways to make us feel like we are or that's going to make us feel like we're on the track to being like we want to be. And again, we set our own selves on that throne first and that doesn't work. And so we put other people in there and, and that doesn't work. We, we look to systems. We look to parties. We look to structure that, again, if we can just build up the right thing. And these are secular ideas that if we get enough people together and if we get enough people in agreement that nothing will stop us, that we can do it. If we can just all agree and get rid of them and, and we've got change that, that's being promised and it's going to be better. This time it's gonna be different. And look where it's gotten us more in debt and more morally bankrupt than we've ever been before. More than we've ever been before. In verse six, they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. Samuel said, God, this doesn't sound right. And he said, no, no, it's not right. But don't take it personal because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. He said they're worshiping something else besides me. They've put something else above the Lord as their highest hope highest hope for what? Everything. Prosperity, protection, purpose. They've put other things above him. And then look what he says. Do what they're asking. Do what they're asking. Give them what they're asking for. Romans chapter one says that the wrath of God is that he will turn us over to what we've replaced him with. He will turn us over to what we've worshipped instead of Him. Whatever it is that we have replaced Him with, He will turn us over to the insufficiency of that. To accept the rulership of a king is to turn from all others. And so when we make any of these things any of these idolatrous things that we've talked about, number one in our life, what are we saying? I want this, I don't need you. And you know what he does when we say that? He listens. And he gives us what it is that we ask for. He said, tell them. Tell them there's a benefit to having a king. And there's also a cost. There's a benefit to seeking after some of these things. And there's also a cost. And depending on what it is that you're seeking after is where that, those bars land, right? Is the benefit above the burden where there's value there? Or is the benefit below the burden where there's suffering there? We were made to want, need, and look to a king. And here's the thing. We're going to. We're going to have us a king. You have a king right now. Right now. Who's it going to be? Because we're going to have one. Who's it going to be? I was reminded of what Paul wrote to Timothy in First Timothy chapter 6. And he's been telling Timothy about how bad things are going to get. He's saying people driven by their desires are going to seek after all other kind of things. And it's going to pierce them with many pains. It's going to hurt them seeking after all of these things. But look what he tells Timothy to do. First Timothy six and verse 11. He says, but you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Amen. He said, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's telling him, uh, they're going to start chasing after all kinds of things, Timothy. It's going to get wild out there, Timothy. People are going to be piercing themselves with many pains, Timothy, trying to find the answer, trying to find peace that their soul is longing for, but you. That's what they're going to do. Here's what I want you to do. Flee from that and pursue righteousness pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith and take hold of eternal life. I love that he says here in the presence of God, who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. Y'all remember what he told Pontius Pilate when he had a good confession before Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate asked him. He said, "They say you're a king. You're a king." Now he was a prisoner. They say, "They say you're a king," and Jesus said, "Are you saying that yourself, or somebody tell you that?" And he was like, "I don't know what." Pontius Pilate was like, "I don't know what y'all are doing. Like y'all do your own Jewish stuff. I'm a Roman. I don't know anything about that." And he said, "If my kingdom were of here, my people would fight." If my kingdom were of here, my people would fight like the people here fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. So, what is that telling me? He's my king. I don't fight the way they fight. I live the way that he lives, right? To where even when I have power, what do I do with it? I use it to serve the weak, I use it to help the vulnerable. I don't fight like they fight because his kingdom is not from here. It's not of this world. And Paul is telling him, he's like Timothy, God's going to bring everything about in his good and right time. Because he is the blessed and the only sovereign. He's immortal. Brother, he ain't getting voted out. He's not up for re-election. He is unopposed. You know when you get to go vote and it says, you want to vote for the unopposed candidates? Yup. He's in there. He's always unopposed. They can't stand against him. Try as they might. Look, and they want to. They want to. They want to get rid of him. We got to get rid of him. And we think it's on us to keep that from happening. Come on, y'all. Come on. Who has been in office longer than him? He's withstood every time they tried to get rid of him. You don't want to talk about how bad it is. It's so bad. We're falling apart. And we are. But it's not yet like Rome. It's not yet like see, we forget, we think America is the center of Christianity. It's not Christian nation supposed to be, but we're not the center of his kingdom. And see, we, we had brothers and sisters that had to deal with Rome, and they tried to get rid of Jesus, tried to get rid of the Christians, tried to get rid of the way. And now you can go pay uh, five or ten dollars and you can walk through their ruins. They're not there anymore. They're not. Who's still around? He's still around. (laughs) They can't get rid of him. They can't stop him. They're like, we're going to burn all the Bibles. We're going to burn at the stake anybody who tries to print it. You can't stop him. Because he's the king. He's the king and he doesn't need us to hold him up. He's holding us up. The idols are the ones that need you to keep them propped up. Come on, y'all got me excited. (laughs) Come on. He is the king. He always has been. He always will be. And we can rest in that. And look, we work from that. There are things we need to do. There are things we need to do. Kelly and I went to a banquet just this last week, the Hannah Pregnancy Resource Center. We're going to have more information coming from them. They've got a new center opening up here in Camden. We're really excited about that. The service that's going to be able to be provided. Look, there are things we need to do. We need to advocate for the good and right things. But again, if we lay down who we are as members of his kingdom in order to get them, we might as well not get them. We might as well not have them if we have to lay down who we are to get them. We will not do that. We will not do that. Our soul needs a king. It's not us and it's not them. It's him. It's him. And look, just like Pastor Tim mentioned, there's going to be some bad things happen. And who our Lord is will determine what our response is. Is our response, man, that's shameful. And this is going to be difficult. Right. That's when he's our Lord. When political power is our Lord is this is the end. There is no hope. Everything is lost. Right. And that will point out to us where our hope is. It's never the end. There is always, always hope because our king is the only one sovereign. He's the only one immortal. He's the only one that's never going to leave office. And that gives us the freedom To support good and right candidates, support good and right policies, good and right causes and issues without needing them to support us. Without needing them to hold us up. Because remember, idolatry is something good made ultimate. Something good made ultimate. And there is no king like him. No king like our king. And to call him king is to let all others know, you will not be lord over my life. You will not be. King. You will not sit on the throne. You may have a part in. You may have a part in my life, but you will not have his part or his portion because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, unable to be opposed. Amen. So this week, as I finish up, I've gone a little bit longer than I meant to. This week, it's election week, right? I didn't time this like this. I wanted to preach about something else. Really, I wanted to preach about something else, but he said no here's the message I'm putting on your heart. This week, look, just look and watch and listen. As all of this is going on, all of this is going on around us, look, look and see if you don't see some of the things I'm talking about. And remind yourself, think on Christ, who's at the right hand of the Father. The position of authority he cannot be unseated from. And he is your king. Think on him where he is, as he is. All that he is. And he has invited you into that. His kingdom is not of this world. And this world cannot touch it. But he's brought it down here for us to live in it now. Think on it. Meditate on this here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the rest that we find in You being our King. The rest that we find in knowing that You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you have graciously brought us into your kingdom. If your kingdom was of this world, we would fight like those who are of this world. But it is not. Your kingdom is from above. And so you've called us whose whose lives are hidden in you. To think on things above and to live as from above, though we are yet still below. I thank you that. We won't be caught up in the madness of the crowd. We won't be caught up in what's declared to be the emergency of the minute. But we will trust in you. The all effective in the world you've placed us in. We're not trying to pull ourselves out of the world. We're trying to pull the world out of us. And I thank you that we'll be able to live righteously justly advocating for your kingdom here on this earth. But it's not tenuous. It's not uh, fragile. And I thank you that it will stand just like it has stood. For a thousand generations, it will stand for a thousand more. And I thank you that you have us, you hold us, you secure us, you sustain us. You are our king. And we turn away from all others. Guys, we get ready to go today. I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with one another. Protect us. Keep us safe. Lord, those that we've got out on the road, bless them. Keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Give them peace. Those that are weak in their body today and is keeping them from us, I thank you that you strengthen them. That the spirit on the inside of us strengthens us even in physical weakness. And Lord, for, for any who came in here wounded today by the weak. I thank you that there is a balm in Gilead, that you are our great physician and you have called us to come close to you so that we might find rest for our souls. And I thank you, Lord, that we find that in you today. And it's from that rest that we rise up and take on the rest of this week. Whatever it may hold, whatever the day may bring, you are the maker of the day. It is your day and we'll rejoice and be glad in it. And we thank you for all that you are to us, our great God and King. In Jesus' name. Amen.